Hi, and welcome to all in Hanscom Field, Taipei, New York, upstate New York, Provence, Napa, Montreal, Seattle, and around the world. You're, it's here again, another corporate jet investor, Town Hall, happy Canada Day. This is your visit to the weekly safe space of business aviation. It's great to see so many of you here around the world. We've got a great lineup of speakers today, so let's get going. Hopefully, if uh, it's all working today, our first speaker is Oliver Stone, founder of Calibri Aircraft in London. Oliver needs no introduction. This is his second appearance on the town hall. And he's working connecting. Well done, Oliver. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Well, how are things over there on your side of London today? So, it's good. I think the, the term that Andrew used is dreek. It's like, you know, we've got a fine drizzle down in Surrey. How are you? I'm lovely. I'm lovely. I have to know. I saw the word Dreek and I, I had to look that one up. That was a new new vocabulary for me today. So it's it's like a fine drizzle, the one you don't think will get you wet and does. <laughs> it's a Scotland has as many words for rain as the uh, Inuits have for snow. <laughs> um, how's business? You know, it, it, it's it's been better than we thought it would be. Now, um, that may be because we had expectations of close to zero for a very long period of time starting in March. But um, we're definitely seeing some activity out there. Now, for most of the people that we're seeing, at least that we're dealing with on the bio or sales side, actually, all of them have made an emotional commitment of doing a deal pre-corona. It's just now, for whatever reason, whether it's more attractive pricing or it's uh, a greater need for cash or whatever that is, there's just more impetus post-corona than there was previous to that. But um, but there's definitely things occurring. Um, it just comes down much more, we find now, to people being realistic that the world has changed and where we are today is not the same as where we were in early February. So, A lot of deals seem to have gone through um, despite COVID, that you know, buyers were committed. What about the ones which haven't? Uh, you know, are sellers having to accept that, you know, it's a tougher market now or is that too simplistic? Yeah, we're in a weird place right now, Al, um, in that there was a number of deals put together that coronavirus broke apart. People weren't committed uh, and the deals fell apart for whatever reason. And so uh, it's a weird benchmark moment for a lot of those sellers. Whereas 60 days ago, 90 days ago, they had a price of, let's just call it $15 million for argument's sake. And now people are trying to buy their airplane for 13 and a half to 14. And for a lot of those folks, there's a lot, there's a difficulty to come to grasp with that new pricing regime. So for the ones that didn't commit, we're seeing a, a much bigger freeze. There's people who walked away generally are not coming back saying, I want to buy it again. Um, you know, for whatever reason. And the folks who are selling it are still not quite to the point where they think they need to be reducing pricing too much. For those that do, however, for those that do recognize the fact there is some kind of different dynamic in today's world than there was in February, there are active buyers and they are actually deals occurring post-corona from things on, on those moments and people can sell airplanes. It's just being very realistic of the fact that the world's different now. And that's, that's a key thing we keep telling to most of our clients. And to another point we, we make is there's there are buyers, but there's a lot fewer than there were pre-corona. And a not very popular message we tell clients all the time is, you know, airplanes consume vast amounts of cash. And in a world where cash and liquidity is extremely valuable, there's not a lot of people 
who are saying, I really want to use a bunch of that cash to put into an airplane right now. So when someone is there, grab onto them tightly and hold on because there's not that many of them. They exist, but they're not everywhere. So, And presumably if they're buying now, they're pretty, um, they, they don't scare easily. There's so much bad news there if you want to look for it. So that's, if they're committed, right. they're good buyers. That's correct. That's correct. And, um, and, and look, people, you know, we've seen some really interesting deals occur, you know, I mean, people taking maintenance risk or people taking, you know, a variety of different uh, structural risk as well as things like just logistics is quite complicated now. And so we're seeing, again, a number of people buying airplanes without seeing them just because they can't actually get to where the airplane is. So, but again, you know, there, it's not all doom and gloom, but, you know, we shouldn't pop champagne just yet. I mean, the world's not quite out of the woods, so. Not even popping English sparkling wine. Um, what about, uh, <laughs> what, we're not seeing, have you seen any distressed sellers yet? We really have not, no. And that, that has been a great absence this time around compared to where we were in 07. And, and you know, I got to give a lot of credit to that, to the financial institutions. You know, our, our general reading of that, of why is, most of them said we don't want to repossess airplanes in the middle of a global pandemic where people can't travel. So why don't we work with our lent or borrowers, I should say, and find a way for them to keep the airplanes for as long as they can do and to continue with it. And so we're still seeing that mentality right now. The, generally, the greatest squeeze point for distressed sales is a repossession, you know, um, and that we just aren't seeing it right uh, or we're not seeing it at, at, at this time. Without question, I mean, I'm sure throughout the whole global sphere of 20,000 airplanes, there's been a few of them go through that were brutally distressed, but it's not a common thing. And uh, we do have a lot of people call us up and say, you know, will you help me buy a really distressed asset? And we have to tell them we really can't. There's just, we don't see a lot of them out there. Um, and that's, I think, a good thing. Um, and, um, you know, we'll see what happens in 90 days from now. And I think many more financial institutions will start to reconsider how long clemency will last. But uh, for now, I think we're, we're seeing things in a much more normal, much more stable phase. So. Okay, we've got a question saying that are there people contacting you now you who know, weren't contacting you before? Are they real buyers or are they just? That is, a, that is a great question. Um, we, we have two, two categories in that front. Um, we've had the first group who is the most real buyers typically are people that have been chartering heavily. And we're talking million to million five a year in charter. And those folks are really serious and we're helping a couple of them out right now looking at airplanes. And for those people, they really have wrapped their head around the cost. And those are very serious people. A lot of them have been contemplating, messing around with the idea of buying it, but they're putting seven figures a year on the travel budgets. And so they, they, they have an idea of scale. The next category we get a lot of is a huge number of people call us up. They say, you know, I'm probably chartering 50 hours a year. Uh, you know, I think right now is a really good time for me to go out and buy a plane. And we spend a lot of time working with them to educate on the cost because uh, chartering 50 hours a year is maybe, you know, 150 to $200,000 a year exercise. And that's a lot of money for travel. Don't get me wrong. But owning a light jet, even a light jet is going to cost you a million bucks a year and owning it. And we found there's a very large number of people out there that have the cash to buy a plane. It's a much smaller number of people who have the cash flow to actually own and operate one. And there's two very, very different things right now. Um, so there's a lot more of the second category 
right now we're finding than there are of the first. Um, but it's just a lot of education we're doing for first time people who are considering buying an airplane like that, just because ultimately the, the worst thing that happens is someone buys it, can't afford it. They hire people six months later, they fire them all and it all ends in tears and everyone loses their jobs. And that, that doesn't work well for anybody in the industry. So. So I think you were on eight weeks ago last we chatting. Awesome. Is anything clearer now than it was then? It, to me, yes. Um, People are, the fear factor is gone now to me. And I think there's a lot of folks out there who everyone just froze and said, all right, the world's ended. We're going to just go into shelter and come out in 90 days. And they're outside now. They're kind of rubbing their eyes and looking around the landscape. And, and so we are seeing things occur. I think the real, the clearer point to me now is there are buyers. There are definitely people who want to get back to business. And from a seller's perspective, as long as you are, aware and, and understanding the fact the world is not what it was in February and willing to, to accept that you can sell an airplane and there are people to buy it. And, and that's a very different world than where we were in April where just no one picked up the phone, you know? Uh, and it's, so to me, it's again, it, there's no telling where the future holds. And I'm not saying that the business is booming because that's not the case, but there's a lot more reasons to be a bit more upside on things now than we were back in, in mid April. Okay, we'll take that as a as a um, cherry uh, sparring at uh, um, First Republic in, has, in Napa has also said, well said, I'm very glad to hear you guiding first-time buyers through the operating costs. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, so. And I also like the, apparently the expression for rain in Ireland is it's just a soft day. I think that's a good one to carry on as well. <laughs> Thanks so much, Oliver. Hey, happy Great to be here. Thank you, Well, Much appreciated. Okay. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Okay, we're now going to switch across the pond to um, in honor of the July the 4th coming up uh, at the weekend, which is when America got all the British people who didn't want to pay tax. Uh, delighted to have Stuart Lapioca of Lapioca Jet Council in Plantation, Florida. Stuart, how are you? I'm good. I'm actually in Fort Lauderdale. Let me, uh, okay, people want to see this. I'm sure. Let's give you a little view. What's the view? Whoops, We're not getting focus, are we? Oh, your video is sure. focusing. Ah, nice. Little Fort Lauderdale for you. And now is that the beach? That is a that is a canal actually. That's that's sort of a tributary of the intercoast. So it's it's lovely, but you can't swim with it in it because uh, uh, it's a little brackish, you know. Uh, my son puts the bait in the little in the little um uh whatever the bait holder is, and the fish die. So yeah, no, I wouldn't swim in that. I mean, we do paddleboard and all that kind of stuff. But um, so, so what have you been doing during quarantine? Well, um, during quarantine, I lost forty-four pounds. Um, wow. For some of you, may not recognize me. Um, I also uh, learned how to string an electric guitar. Um, learned how to cut my own hair. Um, and uh, Anyway, just uh, just uh, worked to the extent we could. Um, you know, we thankfully we we did have some calls, but you know, listen, it was it was quiet and uh, things were frozen. Um, and uh, I think what we're finding now is, and what I guess I wanted to talk about was, um, we're seeing lots of, like Oliver mentioned, we're seeing lots of new buyers, people who have not. Um, uh, purchased aircraft before, uh, maybe people who haven't even chartered before. 
Um, and it's, it's, it's difficult because they come, a lot of them come without brokers. They come without technical advisors. Um, it's a very, uh, they, they sort of are organically trying to learn the area, which I'm sure everyone on this call understands is impossible in a short period of time because you can only learn so much and there's so much from a technical perspective that, that you can't understand from a cost perspective, you can't understand. They, they may see a, a smoking deal, um, but um, there's a lot behind that story. Um, a lot of things that if they would have asked the right questions at the beginning, they wouldn't have found themselves um, where they need to be. We had a client who, um, uh, you know, targeted an aircraft. Um, you know, it was a, we had an introductory call. It went quiet two weeks later. Um, we got a letter of intent on a Sunday night. They targeted an aircraft, but I asked them, how did you choose it? You know, what? oh, that's not your concern. Um, you know, this is a great airplane, et cetera, et cetera. And we learned later that it couldn't be financed for particular, re for particular technical reasons. So um, it's, it's difficult. It's, uh, someone used to say it's hard to wrangle those cats. Um, it really is. Um, uh, so, I mean, I think it's an opportunity uh, for, uh, you know, brokers to really uh, educate and uh, to really, you know, get, you know, give great value to, uh, to these new, new aircraft buyers. And, you know, Oliver's right. They, there's really a misperception about what it costs to, uh, it's not what it costs, it's what it, it's what it costs. That's what friend of mine used to say, um, not just buying it, but operating it. And then, um, you know, having the aircraft managed in a certain way, whether it's creating your own flight department uh, or, uh, and many try to do that in order to save on cost. Um, and they think that that's saving on cost. A lot of it actually, a lot of what the new aircraft buyer does is put a lot of more um, uh, questions and more, they need more information from us so it honestly it raises their legal bill, um, uh, and so you have to look at that. Uh, you know whether that exchange is actually uh, a valuable exchange. Um, you know there are also some common mistakes they're making in addition to the ones that I just mentioned. Um, one, sometimes they're offering too much. They're looking at asking prices on Controller or some of the other advertising sites and measuring them against other aircraft and those prices were out there since you know january or february and they're making an arbitrary decision or analysis that's just not based in reality so that's that's one mistake they make um and you know again taking on the project themselves is uh is really uh it's really sort of a recipe for uh i don't want to say a disaster it's certainly a recipe for increased cost and uh, ag and aggravation and aggravation for the rest of the to the rest of the team um seller behavior i mean oliver mentioned that um i um i agree um we are not seeing uh sellers react to uh bargain hunters um uh you know they people are coming in with uh offers 30 percent uh under uh, what the seller thought that they would, I mean, that some sellers are responding to those, um, 
just you know no counter and so um, you know sellers are they being uh, pretty responsible about pricing I haven't seen a lot of distressed sales um, people who had to sell um, so that's what I'm saying We thought the technical difficulty would be on us. Hold on. Oliver, I have you on mute, my friend. Hi, Stuart, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you now. Sorry. Um, okay, we've got a question from Richard Hayes. It's good that you learned to string an electric guitar, but did you also learn to play it? Uh, you know, I have, it's funny, I was having um, lunch, you know, last summer, whatever, um, uh, during the year uh, on the beach at the Marriott Harbor Beach, where sometimes we have some of these events, and there was a young lady who was, you know, performing um, right outside, and I asked, she was playing music that I like, and I said, do you give guitar lessons? And she said yes, and so we've done virtual guitar lessons through FaceTime. Um, and have I learned to play? No, but I'm, I'm, she's taken me through it virtually and it's fun. Yeah. So no, I haven't really learned. I've and is sort that, of, what's that? Is her hourly rate less than yours? Oh, it's yeah, there's definitely a spread. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the key, uh, points though, is when you're talking about new buyers in some ways it sounds great because you get to bill more but every transaction lawyer i talk to finds those so much more frustrating you'd rather you're not looking for, to put hours in are you i mean listen no i mean we like our nature i think of tra as transactional lawyers is we like to get things done we like to have happy clients we like to move forward we don't like to go sideways, laterally, diagonal, whatever. You know, they have a they have a new idea about how to do something. It's not a new idea. Uh, there's a reason people don't do it that way. Um, you know, uh, modifications to the airplane during the pre-buy. I have to explain how that doesn't really work. It's very difficult. You're at risk. This and I mean, there's there they come at you with these great ideas that they had and. The ideas are not new, they are old, and they are, and everyone knows how to deal with them, which is either don't do it, or I like to see you. Put that back on. I like to see you, Alistair. Um, anyway. Instead of looking at myself. Um, anyway, um, you know, they, they, it's, it's very difficult, and the thing about it is, um, as you're going through it and as they're being educated, they really, they appreciate it, they enjoy it, whatever. Um, but yes, the bills tend to be higher because they're not necessarily listening uh, to everything you're saying. They're not following your direction. They're trying to go a little differently. They're, they're in some cases arguing with you when, you know, we've done however many <laughs> transactions, um, you know, it's, uh, it is really a challenge, and no, that's not how we really want to make make a living. Okay, I've got to uh, check the questions. Um, oh. How many sales have you completed during the pandemic? 
That's an interesting question. I don't, you know, it's funny. I get people who ask me, how many transactions do you do a year? I don't, I, I don't count. I, the work is the work and we do what we do. Um, uh, I'm trying to think about closings. We have a handful of transactions in process. I'm trying to think if we have a, I don't think we have a closing during COVID yet. Um, we, but we have a handful of transactions that are moving in that direction. Okay, yeah. final that question. Work, that are going to go. Yeah. Are you having uh, are your clients moaning about insurance to you at the moment? Um, no, no, I, I haven't. In what context? If they're not worried about rates or finding it hard to get hold of coverage. You're not. You haven't had that yet. I mean, a number of them are going. You know, are, are with um, uh, management companies. So we wouldn't necessarily hear that. Um, uh, the ones that are sourcing on, I have actually one now that, that is sourcing uh, on their own. And um, I guess we'll see because it's going to close uh, shortly. Okay. That's uh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for that. Sure. Thank you. And, Thanks for having me. Great seeing you. And stay safe. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks, buddy. Okay, that was meant to be a fantastic segue through to Zoe, but Zoe, I'm having trouble getting you connected at the moment. I'm not quite sure what's happening. Because um, I can see you're live, but it's telling me you're not. So sorry. Ah, I have got you. Great. So that was my segue into insurance. Instead, it became a segue with me fumbling around on Crowdcast, as I do every week. Um, now I'm delighted to have Zoe Layden, Chief Business Officer of Falcon MGA, um, hopefully joining us now if Crowdcast is working. It's feeling a little bit temperamental today. Um, I don't know what it is. Um, we do exactly the same thing every week, and the beauty of Crowdcast is we have no idea what's going to happen. Aha, Zoe, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, so we start off by telling us, how did you end up in aviation insurance? Um, well, I have an all-important degree in French. And that got me straight into aviation insurance. <laughs> I had a, I'm from Boston and I wanted to come abroad right away. And I got a job working in the London market, Lloyd's um, and that environment. So I came over and I have been working there for over 30 years now. <laughs> so. And now, and now you're working for Falcon MGA, which has got a really interesting okay. charter insurance project. Uh, sorry, charter insurance policy. How does it mm -hmm. work? So. Falcon is um, there to indemnify charter operators against the cost for um, replacing an aircraft at the last minute if case they have an aircraft on ground incident and they need to charter a new aircraft. All right. So it, it pays the um, excess cost for a last minute replacement. So it's a balanced sheet protection in the truest sense. And you don't have to call them. You just, you have an AOG, you solve that, and then you submit your invoice to you. Yeah, so so you, the, the the technical aspects of it is um, it's an insurance policy with Lloyd's, um, just as insurance works in a normal fashion. And then you declare the flying hours on a bordereau and, um, and then pay the premium 
again, it's cash flow neutral, which is an incredible thing about an insurance product to be cash flow neutral. So you pay the insurance premium once the flight hours have been declared on the aircraft and the fleet. And, um, and then if there's an incident, then you can carry on. It reduces the management angst time, having to perhaps have some contretemps with your French word, have a contretemps with your broker. Um, if you're the operator saying, who's paying for this? Um, and it, it reduces all that stress. That's the whole point of it one of the many points of it. And presumably this is, you're not looking to do this on a one charter basis. It's it's a year round policy for an operator who takes it's, this out. It's designed as an, as an annual policy for a fleet because economy of scale is, is an insurance, um, um, you know, facet that works well and it keeps costs lower. So yeah. Falcon's relatively new. It, it's, you've been offering this for how long? So Alcon has been operating for a little while now um, and we have existing client base and um, but it's with the pandemic and coming out of all this chaos, we are looking to reinvigorate and to create a more global stage. And that would be my dog. So I'm going to have to let it in. Hold on. One second. That's great. What, what, what is your dog's Children name? and animals, huh? What's, what's, what's the name of your dog? My dog is called Flo, and it's a pug, and it's noisy. <laughs> Mine's usually under the desk for most of these. It's not at the moment. Otherwise, I'd bring him up to show you. Um, <laughs> right. Going back to the um, – so you guys are basically pushing aviation insurance at a time when standard insurance, uh, aviation insurance is, is getting smaller, the pool of insurance. Right. There's a bigger picture behind the aviation insurance world. Um, and I've been in it for all this time, watching 9-11, watching the financial crisis, the Gulf War, and many other things. So so in the aviation insurance, traditional home liability, has been in a soft market. That means very good prices for airlines um, and carriers and business aviation and product manufacturers for years. Since 9-11, the prices, the prices spiked at 9-11 and they came down. And as people, you know, it's a financial instrument and it's a place to make money for investors. So where they see money, they flood in, very simply, macroeconomics, and where, where it starts to become unrealistic and um, financially unsound, they, they leave, okay? That's the big, simple picture. And what's really pushed over the edge for this market was, believe it or not, the catastrophes in 2017. And when I came and talked with you guys in February in London, um, that was where we started to see the beginning of the real hard market in the traditional home liability place. So the traditional insurance is that everyone must buy to fly their aircraft and they must be properly insured. I wanted to make sure I got that in because I heard a previous speaker say something about the prices going up so people might skimp. And I was like, oh no, alarm bells, please don't skimp on your insurance. That leads to very big court cases and you don't want to go there. <laughs> okay, so uh, question from James Hardy at uh, Collins Aerospace. What other aspects of operations could, should we be ensuring what aviation risks can be underwritten? So in the traditional sense, um, manufacturers have products liability. Um, operators who fly have hull, first party, third party liability. So those are a must. And your broker can help you and you must talk very closely with your chosen broker to get the best cover and the best limits 
for your operation. As far as what I'm promoting here and talking about Falcon and Jetshore is that while there are these standard ones and everyone just thinks go to place your hull liability, where around the edges can you look to mitigate costs that you might not be looking at? Business interruption is not something that's traditionally covered in aviation insurance. It's covered in manufacturing and in um, buildings. So Jetshore is one of these things whereby you can you can protect your balance sheet. And most people do have AOGs. There's no getting around that. And they lose money. And the, the and I can't tell James, thank you for your question, every place you should buy a, a new cover. But what you should, I'd advocate you talk to your risk transfer specialist, your broker, and say, what else is available? Because in insurance, we get vilified for not creating new products. They're not innovative. And then when new products come along, buyers have, over the many years I've seen, say, oh, I haven't had that before. Why do I need it? Well, guess what? You could have bought pandemic insurance for airlines, but nobody bought it because it was too expensive. And who? that won't happen to me. <laughs> and so they didn't sell any. <laughs> and the product went away. Um, that was about three years ago. So um, what I'd say is look around the edges. So if, can I protect my balance sheet from a loss that I'm almost guaranteed to have, which is an aircraft on ground incident that will erode my profitability? Yeah, I never heard of that. Tell me about it. And, and can you get pandemic uh, insurance now? On your airlines? They're trying to create something, in fact. Um, one of the luminaries of the Lloyd's Market, Stephen Catlin, has something going on, but I'm not really sure it's going to be as available as it used to be. Hopefully, there'll be a private, pub, public private thing might be coming. Oh, just like after 9 11 with uh, terrorism and war risk. Yeah, that's where that new coverage started. And then it got into the, and then once the, once the kind of like explosion of worry over the new risk becomes acceptable, then what we saw with 9-11, the terrorism turned into a, um, a commercial product. Okay, that's brilliant. And just a quick question from Richard Hayes. Afternoon, Zoe, is Falcon on Twitter or LinkedIn? You're very much on LinkedIn. Yes, I'm very much, and so is Falcon. They are on both. So please follow and look, and you'll see things happening there. And if you want more information about how how the product would work, um, just to give you a, a quick, just a, a quick, simple maths on it. So if you had a charter for like 65000 and then you had to have a replacement charter because you had a last-minute AOG for 71500 this would pay the difference this would pay that difference between those two charges. Um, and that would save you money on your profits. Okay, I've got another question for you from Jim Tate. Owner-based question, part 91 single pilot aircraft insurance market seems to be significantly tightening with higher pilot time requirements and increased premiums. How do you see this impacting the overall market for single pilot aircraft supply and demand? Sorry, can you? My phone rang and you went away. Can you repeat no that? <laughs> yeah, the, the single pilot Part 91 aircraft insurance rates have yeah. shot up. Um, and also the pilot time requirements and age right. and increased premiums. Yeah. Do you see this impacting the overall market for single pilot aircraft supply and demand? Okay. Yeah, this is a traditional hull and liability question. And yes, this is an occurrence that's been happening as part of the hard market. 
So what I was talking about, how the market prices have gone up on traditional holdability, what the underwriters, and just to explain a bit, because it, it helps to understand why these things happen. Um, the, the insurance entities reduce cover where they see excess, excess potential liability. And what they have done in, in the cases of the hardening market is they look at the policies, they look at the more intensively at everything they're covering and saying, how risky is this? So single pilots turn into a higher risk-based value, yes. And so the byproduct is that they are being more scrutinized and they are um, becoming more expensive or uninsurable. So what I'd say is to check, if you're gonna buy an aircraft, make sure you check that you are insurable on the aircraft you want to buy so don't think of insurance as after the thing that you do after you buy your shiny new toy buy it at the same time and then if you, the more instrument rating the more the more hours that a single pilot could get in to put on his application if you're talking about that type of application because um, it varies between general aviation and business aviation so uh, the more expertise that you can put on your insurance application to show that you are a good risk anything that shows that you are in a single pilot situation, that you are a good risk, that's what you want to portray, and get your broker to help you do this. Great, we've got another uh, whole question from Andy Hoyer, another pilot. Do you think insurance costs should be based upon the risk, i.e. how much they fly, or is there more risk while they're parked long-term on the ground? Um, you, the aircraft insurance is is based on you know, the various elements, including ground risk only and, and flying hours and his estimated flying hours. In the case of the market right now, I think this is a scenario whereby you've heard the expression, you know, it's not, it's not you, it's me. Well, it's not you, it's the market. <laughs> it's, it's not, you know, what, what everybody's feeling this pain themselves and they're like, oh, you know, why me? But it is happening around the place. So what you, what, and it's not leveled at anyone in particular. It is, it is a condition of the industry sector right now. Great, and, and, and I, think, I think a lot of people would like to see the data that the underwriters are using, particularly on you know, older pilots and single pilots. You know, there's some great single pilots out there, but it's not your fault, and I'm not blaming you, Zoe. So thanks so much for coming on. And finally, it's the 4th of July coming up. Yeah. On the same day, bars and pubs are opening up in London. Uh, have you got a big weekend planned? I do. I have to put a plug in for a new uh, a new beach club opening on Gabriel's Wharf in South Bank called the Lyman Beach Club. That's where I'll be on the 4th. It's my friend's restaurant. He's opening up post-pandemic. Go figure. So we're going to be organizing something there for Falcon in a couple of weeks, and I'll let you know. Okay. Thanks so much, Zoe. Great seeing you. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Bob. Okay, we're now delighted to have, believe it or not, under that mask, there's a professional, um, uh, professionally sorry. qualified person. Paul Jevely, managing partner, Pillsbury, Hong Kong. How are you? I'm good, Al. Thanks very much for, for having me. Um, excuse the mask, but I, but I heard that you had cooties, so I had to, I had to protect myself. Um, I know where I'm going to be on the 4th at that, at that restaurant. Uh, if I could get the address, I shall make my way there somehow. Yeah, except you, you're going to have to spend two weeks in quarantine minimum. I, I, think I, would, 
kind of a quarantine record to be to be honest i'm on my i'm on my third and i'll be i'll be back in hong kong in eight days so that'll be um yet another two weeks of of imprisonment how are your family coping with that uh you mean with having me around so much <laughs> yes <laughs> well all things all things considered um so what are you seeing what's keeping you busy uh, good question. Um, uh, transactional work. Uh, we have had transactions close during during this pandemic. We've had transactions begin and close during this pandemic, which is which is a good sign. There have been some opportunistic buyers, uh, none of whom are first time buyers. Uh, we've also had an increasing amount of litigation and disputes work, as as you might imagine. Uh, anything from uh, uh, sales that have failed to launch. Uh, to maintenance issues, to employment issues, all, all types of things. As as markets tend to sail into uh, distressed territory, which we very firmly are in now, uh, you naturally tend to see an uptick in more of the disputes work and uh, also quite a fair bit of restructuring. Uh, these tend to be sort of light restructurings of existing financing transactions in particular. Uh, and also in that light, um, financing extensions and uh, brand new financings uh, where uh, owners own aircraft already and they have decided to be opportunistic and uh, leverage those aircraft uh, for the first time in order to take advantage of opportunities that are presenting themselves in the market. And in particular, this I've seen this um, out of Asian clients um, working with the American and Swiss banks uh, and I have to say, both of those categories of banks have been remarkably, remarkably um, responsive to their to their clients' needs. Um, as as I think you know, maybe not everyone knows, but I I primarily act on on the owner side. Um, uh, represented uh, owners uh, clients that hold uh, you know close to a quarter of a trillion dollars of of, of published wealth at the moment. So I, I get to see a lot of this market from from the owner side as well. And you, and your practice is also for those who don't know you, you're based in Hong Kong, but you have a you specialize in Asia and Africa, don't you? I do. That that's the primary part of my practice, though. As I've been coming uh, to and from Vancouver during during the this pandemic, I've I've picked up uh, more U.S. based, Canadian based. Um, South American-based clients than I than I traditionally have, but it's it's it very much is is a global practice. But the bulk of my uh, historic owners have been Asia uh, for for fairly obvious reasons. I've I've been in Asia um, during the uh, my time in Asia has coincided with the with the explosion of of private wealth. Um, so I've 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 quite enjoyed that process, and I've um, uh, gotten a, a fair bit of client. Uh, referrals out of it and long shall it continue uh, we can talk about that about the macroeconomic trends as well and you're talking about disputes have you seen any repossessions yet no none so and and, and that's quite interesting um i have historically done a significant amount of business and commercial aircraft uh, repossessions uh, my firm publishes this thing called the um the global repossession index uh, it, it's the only thing of its kind, um, often imitated, never, never duplicated. Uh, so I'd like to think that we would have a view of the repossession market, um, given our given our experience, our sort of go to counsel for that globally. Um, I haven't seen a single 
business jets repossession that has come out of this pandemic. Uh, I've seen business jet repossessions in the past, uh, I guess, nine months to a year. Uh, it's kind of hard to talk about timelines since the time, time has lost all meaning. Um, but nothing coming out of this, this pandemic yet. Uh, I think if any, if any lending institution, any lending body um, or organization tells you that they do not have distress in their portfolio, um, they are either uh, lying to you and or them, themselves. So I, I do expect coming out of this crisis, which obviously uh, stock markets aside, um, I think there is a, um, a liquidity crisis at the moment for many um, companies. Um, that'll eventually, if this continues, turn into a solvency crisis, and, and that'll naturally make its way into um, the business jet financing world. So there, there will be repossessions. Uh, there, there will be blood, um, but that process is still a few months off. Banks, banks tend to tend to take their time. Uh, they, no one likes to air their dirty laundry, first of all. So I wouldn't expect uh, for you to hear from anyone about how many repossessions that they're experiencing on the lender side, but, but it will come. I mean, it's, it's, it's an unusual crisis. Um, as you know, a, a, a crisis is a, is a terrible thing to waste. So I think somehow out of this crisis, we've experienced, one of my clients told me in like the, the mid March when this was all happening, one of my clients, he's a, um, Singapore-based multi-multi-billionaire, first-generation entrepreneur. Um, you know, the, this is part of the reason I do this job. I I get I get to come into routinely come into contact with some of the most um, uh, incredible, successful people in the world. And once in a while, I get I get tiny little insights. Um, so right in mid-March, when the, when like the world was ending and the stock markets were 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 hitting all-time lows or or, or crashing, not all-time lows. Sorry, he said to me. This is the single greatest wealth creation event in your lifetime. Uh, and, and I was like, you're out of your mind. Uh, fast forward a few months, and, and that turned out to be true. So I believe that all of my clients are probably wealthier today. I wouldn't be surprised if all of my clients are wealthier today than they were even three months ago. Um, so that's something. That might just mean that a lot of your clients aren't in the hospitality, cruise ships, um, okay. As as like a uh, you know tertiary line of business, but, but that is that is correct. I do have I, I have casino clients, um, and I suppose the casinos have been closed. But uh, everyone's put it this way: everyone's family office, everyone clients that I have that have a family office um, that actively trades and invests have, have generally done have generally managed to um, pull victory out of the jaws of defeat uh, through this crisis. Okay. Oh, you've frozen on me. Obviously, you're in Canada at the moment, um, but you know you're you're based in Asia most of the time. What's the general view about the second waves? Look, I, so I'm I'm based in Hong Kong. Uh, please do not ask me any questions about the current situation in Hong Kong. It is particularly sensitive for me and my firm. Um, um, look, Hong Kong probably second to Taiwan has arguably second to Taiwan has handled this 
uh, pandemic, this, this virus better than any other major global city in the world. Um, I, I do believe there will be, I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV. I do believe that, that, that there is going to be a, a second wave. Um, just, just watching the, just, just watching the news, um, and seeing people out there having, having a great time and exactly no one wears masks, uh, it seems in North America, but, um, I, 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 I believe Asia will hopefully escape that, um, Maybe that's just me being overly optimistic. But in any event, if the second or third, arguably, wave in Hong Kong comes, uh, I, be I believe people have enough foresight now in the general markets to um, realize that, that, it, that it's not actually the zombie apocalypse um, and that there are, um, it'll pass and business will get back to, back to normal at, at, at some point. I mean, I, I'm, I'm also banking on it. Um, can I can I mention my can I mention my event, Al, or is that is is that is that? No? You can go for your event. I know you're you, go for it quickly. Thanks, uh, Avstonish. Uh, we're holding a conference on the 28th of September in Hong Kong at the Four Seasons Hotel. It is both virtual and in person. Um, some big speakers. It's obviously in in uh, partnership with Al um and and others and it's a mostly hong kong based conference and focus conference and depending on whether or not the, the region opens up as you're expecting um we'll have a lot more people attending in person but it'll be live broadcasted as well thanks are Al. you enjoying being a conference organizer I, it was the dumbest thing i've ever done in my life um you know but um put it this way no one in their right mind would go into organizing conferences and that is a proud that is a fact that that i am proud of and i imagine you are as well no not at all thanks so much paul great Pleasure. talking to you happy canada day happy canada day absolutely thank you okay we're delighted now to have nick imry we're flipping back to london again nick how are you very well and you al yeah great thank you i'm Those... slightly jealous to hear that Stuart has lost 45 pounds during lockdown. You, you, you didn't have I'm, it to lose. Yeah, I've done 30. I was quite proud of that, but uh, <laughs> quite goal orientated. Then it's I've like, done. That's just a rounding error for me. It wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't have any difference. Uh, for those who don't know Nick, uh, Nick's co founder of INW Aviation in London. Um, both he and his partner, uh, business partner, were at NetJets um, for many years. And Nick, how would you describe your business simply? I'm still working on that elevator pitch. Um, but um, we, I mean, to give you an idea of what the business looks like today, um, we look after about uh, 60 clients, um, all have us on a retainer looking after all of their uh, private aviation flying. Um, so, and it's a huge spectrum um, from clients that fly exclusive, you know, just, just uh, chartering um, that have jet cards block our agreements. We've obviously know a lot of clients uh, in NetJets that have fractions, and then we look after clients that um, own their own aircraft too. Um, whole point of our business is that it's independent um, and impartial, and so we look after our clients' best interests. They pay us to directly to do that for them. And what's interesting about your business is you, you, know, you your clients are all, you've got, you know, your, your clients, and you're not going to name any names, but they're all pretty well off guys who could, and, and, and I use the term in both, in, in all aspects of the word, who can afford to, um, who could, most of them could afford to buy a jet or a lot could, um, and all of them, Absolutely. 
and you're moving through. And, and what's interesting about your business is you're probably closer to. Are you seeing new people coming in? Are they introducing friends? Going, this is how. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so we've got we've got new clients. We've grown our business by I think fifteen percent um, in the last uh, I don't know six six weeks or so. Um, and so we 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 reached out to our clients and and you know kind of you know did a shout out to them and said you know think of us you know send us your your friends and your colleagues your family that are thinking of flying privately and our clients have become you know always been really good advocates and ambassadors for us so we've seen our business grow in that respect so actually kind of what's keeping us busy at the moment is really kind of looking after our existing clients maybe more on the kind of structural side clients are thinking about what am I flying solutions going to be? Um, what does that portfolio look like? Um, you know, how am I structured with NetJets or JetCard or am I in the market or am I going to buy my own plane or get out of a plane? Um, and that's keeping us busier more than the actual flying, although that we've seen an increase in that, you know, in the last few weeks. I was going to ask you, are your customers, what's, what's stopping them from flying at the moment? Um, I think, uh, so I don't think we, so we haven't seen business, aviation, uh, sorry, uh, cor corporate, um, use come back in a big way yet um so but what we have seen is le leisure traveling and obviously you know the kind of lockdown restrictions have come alongside with summer so um so you know that that's very heavily skewed towards you know leisure travel so we've seen that happen um we're seeing although although there's a big kind of bolt out the gate for people to get to summer destinations um the the people tend to be traveling for longer periods of time. So they're going down for like a week, two weeks, a month, et cetera. So uh, kind of staying in one place at a time. So we're seeing less of the kind of business trip for one day, get in and out for one day, or, or you know, doing a weekend trip away to go see, you know, for, for leisure travel. Uh, so people are being more purposeful about about uh, aviation. And, and then I, you know, I, I think my my thought is probably once the, once the summer once the summer passes, people have got a, you know, got it out of their system a little bit. They got to travel somewhere. Um, you know, my worry is, you know, do we see, uh, you know, less travel and in going into September, October, as as you would normally expect to see that corporate travel um, uh, step up, uh, whether that'll happen or not. And and that is concerning, particularly for European operators, which rely so much on a good summer to get them through the year. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we're, I mean, we're we're seeing. I mean, I think that the, the challenge, and, and it's our challenge as it is, I think, for, for everyone who's working in our industry is, is you, there's going to be, a, my, my impression is I think there's going to be a, a turn in, in customers. So I think um, there's going to be less of these kind of, you know, the, the whales, you know, the people that fly for five, 600,000 hours a year. I think that's going to be harder going in, you know, certainly in the short and medium term to, to fly that much. Um, so I, th I think, people will be more thoughtful about how they travel. So I think your existing customers will travel less in, in future. Um, but, uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of new entrants into the market. So as a, as a whole, our industry will, will I think, will do, will do well. Um, but there'll be winners and losers. And I think you, 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 you know, we all have to position to capture that new business. Because I think if you are thinking that you're going to rely on your existing customers, I think um, I think that they're most likely going to travel less in future, and um, you've got to you've got to position yourself to to capture a lot of new entrants into the market. So we've been trying to do that through referrals. Um, I think um, uh, charter companies and, and and operators who or and, and brokers who have 
big brand presence and good marketing spender are also going to do well. You know, so I think, uh, you know, a lot of new entrants into the market go to the NetJets, the VistaJets, the Air Partners, you know, because you you, you can find them and they're well known, they're, 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 they're household names, you know. So, um, so I think that they'll, 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 they'll take, they'll take a lot of that new business. When you're advising your clients and suggesting, you know, cards or buying block charter, are you worried about operator defaults? Um, it's certainly something that we always um, uh, consider and um, our customers always ask. <laughs> so um, it, it's part, it's part of the, the, the questions we're, we're, we're used to answering. Um, uh, we don't worry just because we kind of manage it um, in, in a way. So um, pro probably we don't worry so much about the NetJetses. Uh, you know, there, there are other operators that you might worry more about. So if you were going to buy jet cards or block hours, you might look at, you know, making making smaller commitments in terms of upfront cash, more regular payments to keep up with your flying. Um, if you're flying charter, you might make more timely payments, um, you know, rather than paying, you know, far in advance. But but actually, I you know, as I said, you know, I do think the industry actually is is gonna is gonna do quite quite well. You know, I think you know certainly for for now, um, you know, all operators I think are, are starting to fly again, um, and uh, you know that they're not they're not sitting on the ground anymore like they might have been you know six six weeks ago or eight weeks ago. And so yeah, so I think uh, generally our, our our outlook is is positive for 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 the, for the market. Actually, one European operator who was going to be on today had to cancel because they were flying today. They just yeah. didn't have time, which is a good sign. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a good sign. Yeah, I mean, we're we're seeing. I, I was kind of just I jotted down some thoughts on on you know kind of trends that we're seeing. You know, we we are. Um, you know, I think as I said, we've already touched on. You know, we're seeing a sway towards leisure traveler. One interesting thing that we've seen is um, kind of a skew towards larger aircraft. So. Um, uh, we've had uh, so we're you know we're advising one kind of FTSE ten company right now that been longstanding customers of ours, but, but um, they're looking at increased usage of larger aircraft because they see more team travel coming up in future. So that's been an interesting trend. We've heard that from some of our other corporates as well. Um, in terms of the the charters that we're even booking or the NetJets and VistaJets we're charting right putting in right now, we're, we're, we're again booking a lot of super mid-sized large cabin long-haul aircraft uh, because people when they do travel they tend to be traveling in their households or you know in their kind of their bubbles you know so again that's keeping a lot of people together and they're, they're, they'll, they'll travel together as well um and then we, we i've seen on on the one hand you know it's as you know, we, we've seen some more kind of localized flying within you know your own your own countries and stuff you know but i think from conversations we've had with um customers um they they have said that that probably you know the, the the short haul travel in future might be might be lower you know so a conference call the board meeting that you have to do might take place by but that long haul travel will 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 flip from from uh, you know commercial to private or you, you know you, you know you'll you'll still keep that going so okay we we we've got we've started a couple of discussions with uh, you know uh, NetJets and Vista and, and a couple of charter operators about. You know, some of our customers that are looking to to buy for the first time their hours on long haul aircraft, where which they didn't do before. And rates at the moment for charter? Um, yeah, uh, good. I think that they're they're, keep, they're keeping stable. So we saw obviously a dip in rates, um, uh, you know, during the lockdown. Um, so, um, and we saw offers from a lot of the jet card block hour providers as well. So there was a lot of offers. I think. 
everyone's kind of running in the other direction now because the flying volume is it started to come back, and uh, so they'd like to go back to the rates they were on before. Um, but we we you know we we've been we've been doing we've been doing deals. Um, uh, yeah, I think the flying hasn't got back to 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 where it is. Um, you know completely but it, it's making a strong resurgence and and i think you know uh, all, all the operators you know want to want, want want to get the business in the door and get it locked up so they're keen to make deals at the moment okay i've got a question from ernst uh Francisine. uh don't you think that layoff slow startup of the airlines will be beneficial for business aviation sorry the layoffs of i know i, I said that so quickly don't you think that layoffs and the slow startup of airlines will be beneficial for business aviation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can't. You, you know, if you if you if you want to go commercial somewhere right now, the connectivity isn't there. I think that'll be. I think that will be um, uh, short 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 term though. I think that the, the connectivity will 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 come back. But but like I said, I, I think a, a lot of our clients say say the same thing: existing and new clients, which is, uh, you know, a lot of them will have blended some form of commercial their travel in the past so um whether for you know certain you know short haul business meetings or even more common would be that you might fly privately over shorter medium sectors but you would you would fly um commercial for long haul because you didn't have the appetite to spend that much money and there's there's a larger portion of our clients now that say i will only fly privately you know going going forward um and uh, so all of my fly, flying will be private however i but just my overall travel will just be smaller even though that that mix will go up, you know, probably all or or mostly private, um, the, the the amount of travel that they'll be doing will be will be lower. Okay, that's brilliant. Thanks so much, Nick. You're getting um a lot of people asking for your contact details. Do you have? Yeah, absolutely. Option? And and I have to say another thing is uh, we're, we 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 have just hired uh, you know a senior person at customer service at NetJets, and uh, we're making a couple of hires as well. We're we're um, we're looking for people with charter sales experience um, to help our you know work on our flight desks and help our customers. So um, yeah, I think uh, you know we're we're optimistic about the future. But I love that I love the size of your your recruiting pool, NetJet. <laughs> Great, it's guilty. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, thanks. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much, and stay safe. Great. We're getting to the end. Uh, I think you can tell that. Things are getting better when we've got people using the corporate jet investor town hall to, to flog rival conferences, restaurants in London. Limini is the name of the new restaurant. Um, thank you so much. Uh, since everyone else is selling things, just to remind you, there will be no town hall next week because it is corporate jet investor live. Three o'clock p.m. Uh, Hong Kong till three o'clock p.m. Miami. Uh, more than 130 speakers more than 12 hours, sorry, more than 12 hours of conference, but three different streams. So around 30 hours of content, everything you would ever want to know about business aviation in one day, including the things you're afraid to ask about. Please join us next week. Thanks so much to all our speakers. Thanks so much for joining us again. And uh, we look hopefully look forward to seeing you all next week at Corporate Jet Investor uh, Global. There are free tickets. Uh, you can watch many of the sessions for free, but if you sign up, you get the full uh, conference um, feeling. You can network, you can see people, and you can also have full access to all the videos for months afterwards. Thanks very much. Stay safe, and uh, we look forward to seeing you all soon. Thank you.